Hi, this is Michelle Wainwright, and welcome to Creative Juicy, a podcast about the creative process, the journey to finding your voice, and tools to help creatives, aka people just like you, find inspiration, confidence, and some business savvy along the way. My career in brand and content strategy led me to collaborating with incredible creators, from photographers to directors, chefs, designers, stylists, illustrators, developers, founders, and so much more. I'm here to shine a light on the experiences of people who dare to be different, with the hopes of inspiring you to do whatever makes you feel unapologetically you. So let's get into it. This is Creative Juicy. But thank you so so much for doing this with me. No, I'm so excited. So you're in Dallas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, born and raised in Dallas. Nice. Um, and you're from Houston, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember, I think, I don't know how I found you years ago when we first worked together. I think I just found you on Instagram. But I I rarely find creators from Texas. Or maybe they're from Texas, but they're not still living in Texas. So it's always right. nice to, to meet someone. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of transients that leave and go to New York. And we're yeah. all, Texans are all over. <laughs> yeah. What is the creative community like in Dallas? Um, you know, it's interesting. Dallas is a pretty decent uh, hub for commercial and advertising photography. Um, and Austin also is, it's it's interesting because Austin is, um, it's a totally different group. And I think a lot of location stuff. Um, so it's like, I don't really know what goes on in Austin, but I know that's also like the other area in Texas that works all the time. But in Dallas, we have, um, you know, we have like Neiman's that's here. We have JCPenney. We have Bergdorf. So we have several big, big companies that people shoot a lot for. And then like advertising is always shooting here. So yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So it's it's decent. Okay. So basically how I've been starting these conversations off is first, can you please introduce yourself and describe what it is that you do, your work, your style, just a little bit about you. My name is Molly Dixon. I am a commercial and advertising photographer with a focus on fashion. And I also do what I call, um, I'm a motion collage artist. Um, so I I think of myself more as a photographer. I'm a, a 2D artist, but I kind of reimagine that and, um, and do a lot of kind of like giffy animation stuff with it. Uh, that's a little bit more of a a multimedia approach, generally more advertising and commercial work, some editorial and personal stuff too. So how did you get your start? I mean, if you can give us a little background on your journey as a creator, where did it start and then how did it evolve over time? Well, it's interesting. I I grew up kind of in the commercial photography industry. My mom was an art director, so I, uh, I spent a lot of summers with her on set and I didn't set out like every child (laughs) didn't want to do the same, you know, in the same industry, be in the same industry as my mom. Um, I went to school and I I was going to minor in photography and it just ended up being like a really great fit for me personality wise. I thought I was going to go in and do radio, television, film, but I was just way too shy. And, you know, photography, you can do, you, you can be a single entity and, you know, work by yourself. You don't need a large team. So that was something that fit really well. But I, I, so I graduated, I have a BFA in art degree, but I think I always knew that I would become a commercial artist. So I at least like understood the industry that I was going into. I, I think a lot of people think it's 
more glamorous than it is. And it's yeah. definitely not, but it's fun. And, <laughs> you know, it's rewarding. I feel like that's the norm across everything. Like with my past champagne clients, everyone would be like, oh, so do you have just like champagne all the time? Like, yeah, no. exactly. I mean, so I at least wasn't like ever slapped in the face with that realization. I I think I had pretty like realistic expectations of what I was getting into. Yeah. Okay. So your mom was an art director. That's awesome. Yeah. So did you grow up going on set with her or? Yeah, I did. It was always way like, more fun. My dad was an architect and <laughs> going on set was Going on set was always so much more fun um, than obviously going to my dad's office. So every bring your daughter to work day, I'd be raising hell on a photo set somewhere. <laughs> what a cool um, just parents as creatives. Because, I mean, architecture, it's, of course, design, but it's also math and physics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'm very lucky that my parents were obviously supportive of me having a going to get an art degree, which... You know, I mean, I know a lot of a lot of artists don't come from a background that understands that that can be a job too. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you describe yourself as a collage motion artist, mm-hmm. and you're an artist who has a very signature style. Like, I feel like I could pick out a Molly Dixon piece from a lineup. How did that style come about for you? Well, thank you. That's like the biggest compliment I think is when people can ID your work. Um, and I, it's interesting. I, I feel like I have two styles in a way. I have a style that's really like intimate and simplistic. I love to shoot just one-on-one with models. And then I have like, maybe it's just sides of myself. I have a side that's just like over the top <laughs> and like more is more. So mm. I think there's like kind of a divide and in a way I think they're both identifiable but um I people definitely like the more is more the animation stuff gets a lot of a lot of attention and I don't really know how it evolved I always kind of liked playing with it and I think I'm just really excited by that medium and like the low fineness of it and like just experimenting exploring and like finding new ways to work with really basic technology I get really excited about it. Um, so maybe that's like part of the style. And then I, I think I also like want to like kind of one up myself. So it's like grown in its complexity over time. But yeah, it's, it's fun and, and challenging. And it's always uh, fun to try to like rework and do something new that you haven't done with, with the motion that way. I'm going to link your, your profiles and your work in the show notes, but can you, how would you describe one of your collage motion pieces? to someone? Well, they're all, you know, it's stop motion. That's like the basic technology behind it. But I stop motion usually is, um, there aren't as many level like layers and different things happening. Usually it's, it's kind of like more of a, a single set situation. So I, I work different ways. My preferred way to work is to shoot my own original content and like cut it up, take different bits Mm -hmm. and parts. Um, and then, kind of reanimate that all on different layers. Um, and I, I really prefer doing really short pieces. So they're complex, but they're short, but it's, you know, it still takes me a long time to do. They're like, very, sure. they're very <laughs> labor intensive. Maybe that's why no one else is as dumb as me to like try to do this full time. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's a lot and it's fun. 
but uh, definitely time consuming. Because <laughs> they're so fast paced. Mm-hmm. You have on your website, I saw you have your work labeled as short and shorter. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's like, what is everyone's attention span these days? Like mine, I really, I mean, the the time it takes is one issue, right? But like, I just, it's hard to watch something longer than a minute that's just eye candy a little bit. I mean, I think that's like a really good, if you have a long form, like a minute is all that you need. I just, I really don't want anyone to get bored. I feel like the moment they're bored, you lose them. So I think the shorter, the better, like keep it cute that way. Um, So my short, short pieces are the minute long pieces. And those are, you know, the ones that are the fuller length. Uh, And then shorter, of course, like your five second or less little animation. So it's kind of just a joke on what your attention span is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I ask this on every podcast, but I really feel like it's influenced so many creators work. But how has social media and just time lengths for different platforms influenced your work? Like, is that what brought about the much shorter clips? Or is it just completely separate and not related? Um, I mean, I, I don't know if it's intentional. Obviously, those are parameters commercially that I have to work in because I do a lot of social media animations, you know, or ads for people. So um, we're mm-hmm. obviously stuck in uh, certain parameters. And then I know they have, you know, agencies have good case studies on like what, what's a good link. Um, so that also kind of drives. I So I know that from there their end. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's my own attention span and it's hard to differentiate how much of that is like inherently me versus like what social media is doing to all of us. Uh, probably like a perfect combination, but um, yeah, I think I'm okay with the, with five seconds. <laughs> like, yeah. I think that's fine. So did you, I mean, were you big into collaging and scrapbooking as a kid? No, no, not at all. I, it's really something that I started doing, um, I want to say like six years ago and I'm pretty aware of my weaknesses, like what I don't like to be in charge of or doing, but I think like a strength, if I had to like pinpoint it is that I'm really scrappy with coming up, uh, with ideas around like very limited parameters so collaging I think probably started out as like a solution to you know I shot this little thing in this little area and like the set wasn't that great or interesting so like I bumped it up a notch you know it was just like making something more interesting from like what I originally had to work with um and then I I think once once I started there, it just kind of grew. I mean, the fun thing about it is like a lot, my favorite things are almost, there's like an accidental, accidental element where I'll play like trial and error. And then it, it, when something happens, I didn't really expect or like, like somehow these little things happen that I didn't plan along the way. And those are the best. So I think just like once I had the first spark of seeing that, then I kind of was like, well, let's just like experiment. And I just kind of went all in. I used to always growing up would love cutting things out of magazines and collaging. And I think that's something that's was one of the reasons why I liked your work so much when I first saw it was that something about it felt nostalgic just from it being collage-esque media, Mm -hmm. but it felt completely fresh and new and like a completely different take on it, like something I hadn't seen before. Um, 
So it's funny to know that you didn't even do that growing up and then just started exploring it digitally. I love collage art. Like I, I gravitate towards artists that do it, even though it's not like the style I do. I, I'm, I'm excited by it, but yeah, I know I didn't, I didn't do all of that um, growing up or in college or anything. So just over time. (laughs) Okay. So then you got your BFA. How did you start getting client work? So I, after I graduated, I assisted for uh, six years, I think, um, under other photographers. Um, And that's something that I don't necessarily think that um, young photographers do as much now. So I did that and I learned a lot. And I think that really helped me grow just as a person and like seeing how everything worked. Um, And then slowly I just started, I just like reached out to random publications, like local ones and just said like, what can I shoot for you? Like tried. And I just said yes to everything. Um, So I just did all kinds of things. I was shooting food. I was shooting like interiors, whatever came from these like little local publications I would take and little by little I would like, like I shot for one company and then they became a client and that kind of like allowed me more time to then grow my portfolio. And it just, it kind of just evolved. It's always a really hard transition is to like set up shop as a photographer and be like a working photographer. So I think everybody has a little bit of a different journey they'll tell. But um, for me, that's what it was. I just said yes to everything until I could start saying no and like focusing more on what I wanted to do specifically. Do you have any advice for anyone in that outreach email to said publication or potential client? Like, are there any key things you think should be communicated in that initial outreach? No, I, I don't know if I have an exact idea. I, but I do know that a lot of, I, a lot of young photographers devalue themselves when they absolutely shouldn't. Like, I had a, a young assistant um, who was really great, but she was she was kind of doing that. She was reaching out to people, seeing like, you know, like, hey, I'm a young photographer. Do you need do you need like whatever? And she was offering to do it for free, <laughs> and then with like the possibility of being paid at some point. And I mm-hmm. just, I'm like, no, don't do it for free. Like, you know, show your book. Like, be proud of what you can do. You can do this. And don't devalue yourself like that. And I've seen a lot of young photographers think that that's how you do it. You offer to to do things for free for people. And I, you know, doing very small jobs for an editorial um, for a magazine, I think maybe was a, an easier transition where there's a little less pressure. You know, if I if it was an early job and I went to go shoot a restaurant, and like worst case scenario, I don't know, maybe I lo- lose the card. I didn't shoot tethered. And, I could reshoot it. It wouldn't be the end of the world. It'd be, it would cost me my time probably, but maybe there wasn't that same pressure that uh, young photographers feel like they need to like apologize for by offering it for free. Yeah, I think that would be like the biggest thing that I feel like I'm telling people. I was speaking about that with uh, my first guest on the show, Aaron. He's also a photographer. And he said, you can always ask for something because your time is worth it, even if it's as simple as an introduction and like a a meal and like your travel, like obviously you should be compensated, but don't just give away stuff. Yeah. Your time for free. I mean, and it's, you know, there's gear involved. There's, it's, you know, not just your time. It's like, it costs money. So yeah. I mean, I think even if you're comfortable with a lower rate, like something should be something. 
I guess you always worked in this industry. You never, like, it wasn't a transition from something else. It was from school and then working under another photographer and then transitioning into your own work. Yeah. I I mean, it's funny. It's like I immediately think of, like, your collage style work, but I'd love to dig into your more just, like, shooting models and photography work as well. Um, How would you say your time is – or time. How would you say your work is split in terms of um, volume between these two different styles? Definitely year to year. It it'll it might adjust. I was really lucky during the pandemic. I worked a ton just because I was able to rework, um, you know, even like existing shoots I had done and create new materials. So, I like the last few years. It's probably definitely been heavier on the motion side, just like coming out of the pandemic. Um, before that, I would say like it maybe is fifty fifty. Yeah, I think I think the motion really once it started, it kind of just took off. So fifty fifty is probably what I would say on an average year. I didn't even think about COVID and the effects that would have. Yeah, it was it was one of those things. I you know like everybody, you just like hang tight and see what happens, and then somehow that ended up being something I could do, and so it was it was great. I mean, no complaints about having anything, any job at that point when we were all just like, what is going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. And then I, it'll be interesting now that, you know, obviously COVID's still around, but we're learning how to to just deal with it. Um, And if people want, if like the next year, maybe people won't want uh, that as much my clients, maybe they'll want like the more just standard photography, since we really leaned into it the last two years. Um, so we'll see. I mean, looking back on all of your client works, all of, all of your projects, personal or not, are there any or anyone in particular that stand out as one of your favorites for any particular reason or one of the most satisfying shoots? I, you know, I, I was, I have like a yearly like meeting run down with my agent and we look at like all the clients and I, Every like the last few years, or growing, you know, the last five years, really. Every every job that I've really been able to do, it's been where I was hired to do my thing, and that's really the like the ideal, the dream to like be able to, you know, I'm not doing like ecom or other ways to make money. Like I'm I'm starting to be where it's it's really. I'm being hired just to do my style. And so that alone is like a dream client. You know, that's ideal. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm so happy with that arrangement really to have. And I love, I love having like a range of clients. I mean, I, last year I've shot for, you know, everyone from like Bergdorf Goodman uh, to Benefit Cosmetics to the Yes, which is like a startup fashion app, um, personal work. Like there's a range and I like the range. I, I, maybe it's just my, ADD-ness I like kind of like (laughs) jumping from project to project a little bit but um yeah that's right you have your agent or your agency representation it's sister brother yeah management right Mm -hmm. and they're and they're based in Texas oh they are okay cool um I know a lot of artists that represent themselves um I mean I feel like it's funny. It's like, I, I know people who have gone through different agents and I believe you've stayed with sister brother for as long as I've known you. So the last since 2013. I so I, uh, a, oh, ch- wow. a chunk of time. Yeah. Yeah. 
So can you describe, I mean, how did your business change once once you brought on agency representation? And can you describe a little bit about what it was like before and after and any pros and cons for people to consider when when contemplating getting an agent? Yeah, um, well, I think agents all work a little differently and they all focus on um, different things, but it's it's really like a marriage in a lot of ways. You really, like we had kind of a courting period where I, my agent is Jen Dunn and I, um, you know, we talked several times uh, over several years before she officially brought me on board. And it was kind of like, she was, I was young, a younger photographer and she was keeping tabs on me and also seeing where I would fit in her roster, you know, like knowing what her clients need. Um, and, then, you know, I think over the course of three years, we talked several times and then it was like the right time. Um, and so we talked, I came on board and she said, it'll take me two years to really get you going. And she was almost like exactly right. And I so appreciate that she put it into that perspective because there's so much work that it still takes on an individual level. Like you can't just your agent doesn't do everything for you. I mean, I, I bring in a lot of my own clients. I'm in charge of a lot of marketing. You know, it's it's really a relationship that you work together. Um, at least in my situation, I think people work different ways. But, you know, in, in social media, people find me because I'm posting stuff online. So anyway, um, yeah, it, but it is like a marriage. You do have to find the right person that fits you and gets what you want to do. Um, because they're your biggest champion. They're the ones that are like fighting in your corner. Um, and mm-hmm. you want that to be a good relationship. So obviously mine is because <laughs> we've lost yeah. it a long time yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you find that you were getting um, new projects sent your way by virtue of Jen? Or like, were you able to delegate things you didn't want to do and then Jen could take those things over? Yeah. I mean, I like negotiating, um, all of that, the bidding process, it's obviously, it's so nice to have someone that does that all the time. They can, they can look overall at, at a budget, at a project, um, and kind of like see what we're actually working with. Um, especially when you weren't, I wasn't really used to bidding on bigger projects. So as really giant jobs have come, like obviously I, it would be a lot. I, and my personality, I just don't want to deal with all of that. Like, uh, I'm very organized. And I'm like, I'm, I've got like um, an idea around production, and I'm, I'm organized creatively. But it, it's so nice to have someone on the business side of it to be kind of your business partner that way. Um, and as far as bringing in work, I, like I said a little bit, like I, I think in probably 20 years ago it was different, but I think right now you're both in charge of bringing in work. Like I couldn't just like hang my hat up and like wait for Jen to do all of it. Um, She also represents other artists besides me. Um, But like, say I bring in a client because they found me online, which is how so many people find me. Then I have somebody that actually can help like negotiate and like look at the terms of that agreement and be my business partner when they come in that does a much more efficient job than I would do, especially if I'm on set or whatever, she's able to get to that quicker than I would be able to. Have you ever done a shoot with your mom? No. And she actually, she kind of, she had like a second career very late um, 
like basically when I graduated high school. And so she never even worked in like the digital era. She was all film. So she, I don't think, I think things are so different now in a way from like how they were then. Um, But no, I feel like that wouldn't work. (laughs) I feel like, (laughs) I feel like we're both like the exact same person and we would argue, but um, yeah, yeah, no, she, she had a retired, um, by the time I came in and she, I focus on fashion and she was, uh, a lot more involved with like interior and food and stuff. So we probably wouldn't mm-hmm. have crossed paths, but a lot of people, especially starting out, they knew my mom. And so we don't have the same last name, but it, it, I would like kind of, it was nice to be a little bit separate from all of that to start off and assist people that didn't know my mom that, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Just cool. so I wasn't constantly embarrassed by that it's so funny when you're like I don't know your parents just embarrass you for forever I guess (laughs) she's really cool though she's cool I'm sure I mean I was just curious when you mentioned that um if you guys had ever collaborated no but my sister she also started off as a stylist so I guess there there could have been like a very small possibility of us all working together which would have been like it would have been like a nightmare a little bit but also fun (laughs) yeah and your dad could maybe like build the set. I don't know. <laughs> maybe not a family affair. Yeah. Speaking of how things have changed lately, I would love to talk about uh, your recent NFT work. I know you launched Computer Cowgirls, I believe, this month. Can you describe to those listening what it is and um, also just your process in getting it live? Yeah. Um- I, NFTs are such a hard thing to dive into in a way like people's eyes glaze over and it's just a lot. Like I, I tell everybody the first, the biggest hurdle is just that initial understanding of like the what and the why. Um, and once you get part like past that, it's pretty exciting. And like, I'm actually really excited about all things web three. And even though we're here for like the super early days, it's funny. It feels like nostalgic in a way for like early AOL because it's so like ugly in a way, like, you know, like it just has this really like retro feel, but also futuristic. Um, so anyway, I launched a, it's a really small collection. It's only 201. A lot of these collections are closer to 10,000. That's pretty standard. So a very small um, collection of animated cowgirls. Um, and I did it to raise, it, like 100% of proceeds are going to uh, fund abortion access in Texas. So I I mean, just politically, everything that's going on, uh, I decided to do this, like, just to fight the restrictive abortion ban. And so, so I, I worked, you know, December is like a slower month commercially. Like people are kind of already spent all their budgets. Like you kind of, you know, there's, there can be some surprises, but it's like kind of a holiday month for a lot of photographers. So I started working on these cowgirls, um, and then was ready to launch early February. Uh, they sold out. I mean, it was a really small collection, but they sold out like in minutes. Um, and we raised yesterday. I made the, the donation from the initial sales, which was with all fees gone. It was like 27,000. 
So, I mean, that's way more money than I could have raised just like selling prints or, or whatever. But the cool thing is, is like uh, with NFTs, and I think this is where it works really well for artists, is that um, you can work it into your smart contract that you get royalties. So when those cowgirls, which I sold for, they were like 200 dollars us equivalent of us 200 usd um when they go out and grow in value and people resell them the project always takes 10 percent of that sale so long term um they'll be funding the project which will always go towards uh, abortion access so it's an interesting thing for artists because you don't have to keep up with it you know the contract's written it's there. It goes out. Um, and then I think like, I think there's some other really interesting things you can do with it technology wise. I mean, I think for a fundraiser, uh, a long-term fundraiser, it works obviously really well, but just blockchain technology in general, there's, um, we don't really know. We can't even imagine all the things we're going to do with it. It's like, you know, in the beginning, like everyone's like, why does, early web days everyone's like why does target need a website we just go to target like you don't yeah. you know and, or they had a website that just was like target with your address and you couldn't do anything on it so it's like we have this technology and we can do so many things with that we're still figuring out um but yeah i'm, I'm super interested in uh ar and a bunch i got like a bunch of different things that i think my work will transition into uh, probably pretty quickly. I think it's like, it's so here really faster than what we realized. So, um, so yeah, the NFT thing was like a good kind of like crash course. And of course I thought it would be a lot easier than it was. I learned so much. I'm glad that I didn't launch like a 10,000, um, generative project, but, um, right away. Cause I just, I would have not known what I was getting into. Um, but it's been really cool and it's like the wild west and interesting every day I learned so much and it's just totally different. Yeah. It must feel like a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it is. It's, it's exciting. It's chaotic, but it's really exciting. Um, so maybe you have to, you have to be in a good mind space to like kind of dive into it. Cause I feel like the overwhelm level can hit you really hard, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's what I've been most excited about. Um, the last few months. So I'm really interested to see where it goes from here. Well, first of all, from a fellow female Texan, thank you for doing this. I mean, what's been going on in Texas has been so upsetting on so many different levels. So seeing this project come out really, I don't even know the word for it. It was just incredible. Yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's, it's so hard to feel like you can't do anything. Um, and, you know, even with 27000 raised um, from initial sales, like the it all proceeds went to an organization called Fund Texas Choice. And they, they tweeted yesterday that that funds like 27 abortions. But that's it. Like that just shows you how many, like how big of a hurdle this is, like how much money has to be raised. I mean, those are 27 lives. That's like, that's huge. But it's also like you realize the scale of the problem, especially with other states kind of following suit. Like it's, you know, it's pretty scary. So it's, it, I don't, you know, like I'm, it was a small thing, but like it felt at least like something 
to throw energy into that could do a little something. And for those 27 people, like that's something that will definitely help them. You mentioned that, you know, you, you had to learn a lot and like dive into this whole new world. How did you, like, what resources did you use to educate yourself? Well, so the NFT world lives like on Twitter and Discord. So I I wasn't using Twitter. So I like fired up my Twitter and just started like kind of like observing, um, following other women projects. Uh, that's a big thing too in Web3, like only 5% of people involved, invested, creators, whatever are women. And it's going to be like the future. Like, it's a little scary how few women are involved from this point because we're looking at numbers where like women could really be left behind. And in a way, it's technology is like the great equalizer of a lot of um, professions. So there's there are a lot of groups trying to get women and women artists onboarded to to become involved, know about crypto and just know what's going on. Um, but I just think it's really boring to initially talk about to people and they, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot. Um, but anyway, I, I, there was an artist that I really love. I follow her on Instagram, Blair Z on Instagram, and she launched a collection, which is beautiful. She's a fashion illustrator and it's uh, 1989 sisters. And I think I had barely started my collection when hers came out because I was just like really angry and motivated and just like, I'm just going to make this collection and like raise money and it's all going to this. Um, but when I saw her collection roll out ahead of mine and it was so beautiful and it was the first one I saw where I really loved the work, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be more than like million dollar crypto apes. Um, like the, there's going to be like artists that we all love and follow are going to have NFT collections. And it's a cool way to own a little piece of stock in that artist in a way. I think that's how Blair's described it too, is that you can kind of buy in to an artist that you like, support them. And when they become more successful, your value, like your little piece of stock goes up in value. So it's, it's a neat way to support an artist. Um, but going back to learning, um, I mean, I'm still learning. Like I'm still trying to like, you open basically an NFT collection is like opening a public facing business, which I have no experience with because I deal with ad agencies and art, you know, I have one, I have like one art director or creative director that is my client. Um, and that seems really easy compared to like my little collection has like a hundred collectors and, you know, that is a lot more, uh, public facing than I'm used to. So I'm constantly learning. Um, and just kind of seeing how the, the bigger projects, how they operate, but community is like a huge thing and people want to feel like they're in a little bit of a club. So you have to kind of cultivate a community and something that like people can be really proud to be a part of. So even though my collection is sold out, I'm still going to be um, promoting like, you know, and, and also seeing where computer cowgirls can grow from here. Like maybe we're going to like have a collection that targets Ron DeSantis next. <laughs> like I, there'll be like anonymous, but NFT cowgirls. I don't know. Um, yeah, but it's a journey and it's a ride I'm on and I, I don't know where it's going always. <laughs> well, that's, 
that's the some of the beauty in it. You mentioned that the norm is kind of 10,000. Yeah, it seems to be. Yeah, there are a lot of collections that big. So how is that art generated? Is it like an algorithm that like tweaks little things in each piece? Or is it really dependent on the project at hand? I mean, picturing someone creating 10,000 pieces of work sounds yeah. impossible. No, it it's super interesting, actually. Um, and I'm not the expert on the nitty gritty of how it works. Like I know like Chromey Squiggles, I think is art generated completely from code and it, that's a fascinating, like, heady project in that it's, I mean, it, it's very simple, but it it's going to be in the history books because it's the first time, like, a computer has made art for people. Um, but going to, like, a generative collection, like Blair's project, um, and she, she works in an interesting way, but usually what happens is um, the artists make say say it's a collection that's going to be figurative so it's you know a woman or whatever they'll make like all of the layers you'll have like you know several different basic bodies you'll have 20 eyes 20 lips 20 shirts 20 hats whatever you make all these individual layers and then the computer algorithm uh creates all the unique combinations for you and um you know mine were already made but a lot of these like when you go and you mint them, which is the process of where the art um, moves onto the blockchain, you're actually like simplistically you're pressing a button and it happens live. The computer like makes your your piece live, and so you kind of like blind buy um, from the from the artist, and you then you get like a unique combination that you hadn't seen before. So it's I think that's kind of interesting in a way that like as an artist, like you create the bones of a project and then the, the output, the, there are combinations that you wouldn't have thought of and they are by you, but also there's a random, a randomness to it that like you didn't intend. Um, and maybe I like that because I like when accidental things happen in my own work that I didn't intend. Um, I'm sure for some artists, they're like, this is a nightmare. And like, this doesn't sound great at all. I think it probably is a little divisive that way. But I'm I'm actually pretty interested in it. And I know Blair, um, she did a unique combo because she's an illustrator. Um, and she's not a digital illustrator. Like she, she hand draws. So she scanned in all her pieces. And so they're all hand done, but then gen- like generated and randomized into these like algorithm made ladies and they're so beautiful they're I mean they're just really stunning um so how cool is that yeah it is really cool it's I mean it's it's super cool to see what people do with it yeah sorry I'm asking you so many questions but this is no I mean I I love my my boyfriend's so tired of me talking about it so I'm happy to talk about it to anybody (laughs) I should introduce you to my boyfriend because that is all he talks about oh yeah so then you know how it feels to be my boyfriend he's like shut up yeah (laughs) (laughs) um no but I am interested you you also made a comment about how after fees the profit is xyz what kind of fees are associated with this just baseline industry-wide? And then I guess, I mean, you said you wrote your own contract, so smart contract or something like that. How does that work? Well, I, that's like part of, I mean, I don't want to get like too boring with it. Um, but basically about a week before I launched, 
like my learning curve was just like straight up and everything that I thought like, oh, won't be a big deal for this collection. I'll worry about it next collection. I quickly realized like with an NFT project, these things live on the blockchain for forever. So you have to think both like short-term and long-term, like what's good short-term and long-term for the project. And so I quickly realized I needed my own smart contract. So I'm, I'm not a developer, um, but I did find like a, a third party way to do my own. Um, and it's, it's pretty basic, but at least it's independent from like a, a big marketplace like OpenSea, um, which a lot of new creators use and use their smart contract. Um, but you gave yourself more freedom and yeah, more, okay. more freedom. And actually it, it means it's like actually decentralized, which is like the whole point, right? Like, um, you know, using open seas, I'm not exactly sure what that would mean long-term, but it, it, it's like, if open sea goes down, is your NFT gone with it? Like there were just a lot of things I was like, this is probably best if I can figure out a way to make, my own smart contract happen. So anyway, I did um, and was able to do that. But uh, going back to the fees, so the cost of putting an NFT onto the blockchain can be a very expensive process. And it's called a gas fee. It depends a little bit on what blockchain you're talking about, but Computer Cowgirls lives on Ethereum. Um, And so that gas fee can be super expensive. So I, I actually minted mine and I minted them at like one in the morning because it was like, that's when it's much cheaper, much, much, much cheaper to do it. Um, so the, you know, it probably cost over 201 cowgirls, like 7,000 and just fees. To, so like there was a, a chunk of that um, had to be obviously taken into like what it cost to put the cowgirls out. And then profits for 27,000. Is there a reason you chose 201? No. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, no, I don't, I have to, was there a reason? No, there's no, like, no, like major significance. I just, uh, because it's not a a project that's created by algorithm. I was hand making each cowgirl, like 201 seemed like a, a number that was the biggest number I could come up with uh, that was also doable, probably. So you didn't you didn't use an algorithm? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How long do you think that took you? Working pretty pretty solidly, it took about a month and a half on it. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I was also doing some other projects and stuff, but not too. I mean, I think that's like not as long as people probably would think it would take. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty fast in a lot of ways. But um, yeah, I mean, I've gotten faster, but uh, yeah, I think a month and a half of just build. Do you see other NFT projects um, with profits going to a certain cause? You know, like going back to um, how few women artists are currently involved of those uh, female artists, a good chunk of them like donate percentages. It's pretty common. I don't necessarily know if that happens and other NFT communities, but it's a common thread and woman-led NFT projects. So, I mean, definitely it's not 100%, which is not really, like, sustainable long-term to just pump out, like, projects that 100% just because the time involved is, is – it's also long-term time. Like, I'm long-term committed to the project. Um, but my project was, like, a, a vengeful project, so I was like – 
it's a little different. Like I was super motivated and angry. Um, but, but I, you know, I think it's anywhere from like 10, maybe as high as 20% of some of these projects. Um, I think if it's under 10, it's not worth mentioning, but definitely a good chunk. And, you know, even though that number percentage is lower, I'm sure it's generating more money than like my project did just because the amount of, uh, inventory they have to sell. It's interesting to think about nonprofits in this whole web three world, like the amount of time you spent, like observing the communities, learning about this world, then actually making the art, uploading it, like managing the whole project. Oh yeah. The creation part is the smallest part. Like it really, like I, that was something I was surprised by, but I mean, there's just so much to running, like basically a little business, a little community. Um, it, it's it's like a long-term thing. So really like the creation is just like the tip of the iceberg. Well, I'm excited to see what happens with all these cowgirls. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I am too. I mean, they're, they just like left and we'll go, we'll see what happens from here. Did this little taste of NFT-ness like, do you want to do more? Or after that, are you kind of like, okay, I need a break. Let me get back to no, other things. The, the response has been, I mean, I have more people that want them than I have cowgirls. Like, the response has been really overwhelming and how people just really gravitated to this project. Um, like, Texans and non-Texans alike. Um, and I I also feel like for, I was really uncertain um, just with my style, like how, if there were if there were collectors that were ready to to want to collect that style because i don't know anyone really personally that's um collecting nfts like it's a little it was hard to put my finger on like who those people would be and if they would really like the work and it's interesting because i would think half my collectors are men like it's not all women um but there there's been such support that yeah i'm i'm definitely thinking long-term um, and also like how to grow computer cowgirls uh, specifically as a, like a bigger idea that would benefit this like OG really super special collection, but reach more people. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people who, let's say young artists who are in search of their own signature style? Are there any tips for someone who's trying to figure that out? Um, I've never been someone that's like, tried to guess what people want or make something that was like really commercially wanted or needed. So I just have kind of always done my own thing. And I think that's worked out well for me. And I, I would love if that advice would be true for everybody. I, you know, it's like really idealistic, I think, but I do think there's something to that because it takes just a lot of like, stamina you know to create work to stay in the industry that I think you have to be excited by it and I think that that that's kind of how you know you're on the right track if you have like endless energy you feel excited by something like that's the direction you probably should be gravitating towards even if that's like if you see stuff you know moving in a different direction that does really well like it's probably even a better reason to go the other way and you know stick with what excites you because you just have to be a unique 
voice in this industry. It's really hard to compete directly with someone that has a super similar aesthetic style. Like, you know, it, there are so many more photographers now than there have ever been. Um, and I think you just really have to find like your voice and vision. And that's, people are going to come, I think, and find people that are more artist this day and age than like technicians. And I think that's great. Um, but I think it also means like you've just got to kind of stick with what you're excited with and what you're inspired to create from. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, I was speaking on one of an, on another episode with Brent Freeney, who is a, he owns a design firm, but focuses on web development and digital experiences. And he was saying, do the work you want to do because then you'll get more clients for that work. Yeah. He was like, it's a dangerous path to start doing things that you're not excited by because the more of that work you do, the more similar work it'll attract. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, that's great advice. Like promote the stuff you want to do more of. Um, Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, that's, I think that's like a really good point as far as like what you put out there. Were you super precious when you started like putting out your own work or was it, or was it more just like, let me just put it up and it was less pressure because. Well, I mean, I'm, when Instagram started it, like, you know, I really, I miss those days when there was no pressure because it's like, you were happy if you got 11 likes and you were like, yes, yeah. I made it. <laughs> so I just put everything up. I was really, I, that's a little bit what I'm excited about new spaces for because I miss how like we weren't self-conscious back then about anything we put out on social media, like for better or for worse. But it was just, is like, as an artist putting stuff on my Instagram, it was like freeing. Like I didn't have any expectations from that. I just, that was like a little outlet that, um, and that point in my life was just really easy to publish on. Um, and I, I do feel like Instagram is a really interesting case right now because it does feel so forced and self-conscious. Like I don't really enjoy it as much anymore. So I, I like, I think that's why I like also like web three has come around at a good time. It's like a new outlet that feels there's energy there again, that I lost like an in Instagram, you know, and I love TikTok, but I, my work doesn't really translate to like a TikTok, you know, whatever. But personally, I love it. I love being on TikTok. So yeah, I, I miss those days of like, just being carefree and publishing your art and it never really occurred to me that people would like it or not like it. It was just like, click, it's out there. (laughs) Yeah. Have you shared your motion stuff on TikTok at all? Uh, I've posted a few things on there. Um, and I enjoy it in the same way where like, if I get six likes, it's like, cool. I didn't have any expectations at all. You know, it's like freeing in in its own way, but like, no, I mean, I, I kind of like, I hardly have posted. I'm much more of like a viewer of TikTok, but I, I like just the whole thing about TikTok that's interesting is like, you just don't think about it. You just do it. Like you just throw it out there. And that's a good, really good exercise. I think for me, because you know, everything is so curated and finalized on Instagram. It's almost like your portfolio. I, I'm not even sure if clients pull up my Instagram before they pull up my website. You know, I'm maybe, I don't know, but um, yeah, just to be like, here you know just throw stuff into the internet space like I like that yeah so yeah I do but no one looks at them (laughs) 
Well, kind of like that too. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't have to include your TikTok handle. <laughs> yeah. Me I mean, <laughs> sure. If, you, if people are into TikTok, but I don't think that they'll like, uh, I don't think they'll stick around probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, from the client side, I can tell you that I always found creatives on Instagram. Yeah. That's just where I went. And then if they had their portfolio in their bio, great. I would click that too. But I really was looking at how their work could be translated digitally on social media platforms. Oh, I'm, I remember how I found you now. Uh, what was that really artistic department store based out of Dallas? Oh, 4510. Yes. And I saw the work you did for them. Oh, cool. And I believe that's when 4510 had just opened. I think there's one in... Um, Hudson Yards in New York. And I think that is how I figured out. Oh, cool. No, that's neat. It's neat to put it together because like, I honestly just don't know how people find me. It's just, you know, random luck, chance. It's, you know, Instagram, Vimeo, like who knows? So yeah, it's it's interesting to know how people find you. Okay. So Molly, I have been ending every episode with asking five final questions uh, we may have touched on some of the topics, but I will ask you nonetheless. Okay. But question number one is what drives you to create and why do you do what you do? I think it's just an impulsion. <laughs> I don't know. Feeling inspired feels like energy, like just endless energy for whatever that direction is. Where do you go physically, mentally, digitally to get your creative juices flowing? I don't have anywhere that I go or anything um, that I do to try to, you know, spark an idea, but I think I'm pretty good about not working when I'm not inspired. Like I don't feel the need. If I don't want to, I don't because when I do want to work, I want to work like crazy. So I think it's like letting yourself rest when you don't feel inspired. Like don't stress yourself out that you should be figuring it out. Like for your personal work, I think let yourself take a, take a beat and just wait till you are inspired. If you could tell your younger self one thing or one piece of advice, what would you say? Probably like the same thing I'll tell myself now in 20 years. Um, I think just not to be afraid to go for it. That's like a little hard for my personality to like sell yourself to just really try something that feels very uncomfortable as far as selling yourself. And I think just being brave and learning how to do that earlier, like that's probably what I, I would have told myself. At least from what you shared today, you sounded pretty brave just emailing all these publications. <laughs> <laughs> that takes guts. Yeah. Final question. What are you looking forward to today? Anything coming up that's keeping you feeling motivated and inspired? Uh, I mean, I know we've talked about the computer cowgirls. That's probably like the biggest thing on my radar right now. Um, so I'll just kind of say like the future of that, seeing where that leads me. Cool. And where can people go to find you, find computer cowgirls, keep up with your work? Well, it, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I think if you just search computer cowgirls, you can find me. I, I'm also on Instagram, computer cowgirls. And that has links to like the Discord, all the marketplaces, and then kind of like search from there. So are you using that more than your Save Molly? I have been lately just because I've been like so like involved with that. My brain space has been just 100% computer cowgirls. Um, I want to keep 
myself as a big part of the brand, but just, I think like, <laughs> I just felt like it needed its own space because I don't know if everybody on my Instagram knows what an NFT is or cares. So I just don't want to like spam <laughs> computer cowgirls everywhere. So I mean, it has its own home and side of me, but I kind of cross, I cross promote a little bit. I'm sure a lot of your Save Molly followers would be interested. I mean, if they don't know about it, it's good for them to learn. Yeah, I think it was interesting. I Like a lot of like creative directors and stuff followed that I think were, they, you know, not like collectors are looking to buy necessarily is like just like curious to see what was happening or like what was going to you know it's it's early for a lot of people and um like I talked about Blair she was like seeing someone that I kind of knew jump in that really sparked my curiosity more than if I just like organically waited to become interested in it well, Molly, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was so fun. I know. It was so nice to see you. I know. Um, on a, a video, even though anyone listening, there is no video recording of this. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Creative Juicy. If you like what you heard, it would mean so much if you can take a minute to rate and review the show. Be sure to hit subscribe to stay updated on new episodes and follow me at Mish, M-I-C-H, underscore Wainwright on Instagram for more podcast updates. You can also find show notes and a transcript for today's episode at creativejuicypodcast.com. Hope you have a good one. Bye.